I'm Randall Alquist, and I have a passion for story, hearing and sharing journeys with ordinary people who live extraordinary lives. The Long-Haired Pastor Podcast is about meaningful discussions with amazing people who love Jesus. Through our time together, we'll grow in our understanding of God's plan and purpose for our life, as well as have a great time. Get ready to be inspired and challenged by God to take the next spiritual step. Let's grab a cup of coffee and dive in. Kish is a worship pastor, writer, who also spent nine years in the Middle East as a missionary. He led worship for the International House of Prayer in Israel and Randy Clark's worship pastor at Global Awakening. His first touch with the supernatural love of God was seeing a dead person come back to life. And as a prophetic teacher, he brings valuable insight that will increase your own understanding of what your gifts are and, of course, God's love for you. Are you ready? Let's go. I'm so grateful to, to have you on here, man. Yeah. First, I would love you to kind of tell us your God story. Um, when did you really come to know Jesus? And then maybe even when did you really truly believe yeah, the gospel? Good question. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. The beginning uh, story, you'll probably tell a little bit from my strange accent. I grew up in a small town in uh, the southeast of England. Uh, not too far from the royal family's digs. Oh wow! <laughs> and uh, just a small. Should I call you? Should I call you Prince Kish? Or... <laughs> no, because that would just be awkward. There's no way I could I could yeah, live up yeah, to yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Yeah, no, I just and then growing up in a a little you know village Baptist church, as it were, uh, Baptist Free Church. These visiting evangelists, actually from the states, came over and they were pretty fiery. I mean, for that, wow. you know, for that denomination too, as well, and for that, you know, just where everybody was at in that part of you know the country, as well as that time, you know, growing up at that period, kind of who was moving inside, right? And, you know, there was pockets of stuff around, but and uh, I got this. Yeah, it was probably about eleven, and I just got completely smacked upside down by the holy spirit you know speaking in tongues i if my memory wow, praise did, god. i hadn't even given my life to the lord but he came in first so i don't know how wow. how messy that is for some people's theology but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is hey listen when god's writing it who can argue <laughs> so you know um and that just was something else I mean, I still remember it so clearly today. So what was that like for your Baptist parents? You know, um, like every parent, right? You're reserving judgment. You're glad your kids are in church and you're waiting for fruit. You know, and I, and I think there was right. a lot of that. Right. Um, I think, you know, my family, my dad especially, could see the significant impact God had made on me. And he was pretty open, you know, the, and the church was pretty open. I, it wasn't like I was just one, this one kid in the whole room getting, you know, kishnockered and nobody else was yeah. getting, you know, touched yeah. or, you know, it, church got shut down the next week or anything. It was, there was an openness there too and a hunger there. And I, I was just blessed to have that kind of parents though too, that were just kind of had their own hunger, but also were just wise enough to, to let go and let God, you know. And they created that room Amen. for Amen. him to do what he wanted to do. And it was, um, you know, going into my teenage years was a, a real battle, as it is for a lot of, you know, teens and stuff. And uh, uh, it, my life almost became like a Star Wars script going over from the, to the dark side of the force a little bit and stuff. And it was just like spiritually, spiritually mm -hmm. hungry and looking for where I could get what I got there again. Um, in a consistent, you know, way, and uh, and I remember hitchhiking in the summer up to you know Christian festivals and conferences where I knew it was going to happen. You know, almost got trying to get that top up for the year, <laughs> that yearly dose to try and carry you through. It's <laughs> crazy. But, you know, oh gosh, yeah, just, just yeah, really man. messy, but real, real. So, so it was more of an, yeah, chasing the the yeah. experience. Yeah. can be a tough journey man it was such an impact that it was enough to create a desire in you to chase yeah, after it um yeah. how did that turn out i mean how did that turn out into your teens what what did that what did that process end up looking like for you 
I think it's like it's like a lot of things, right? And it's it's like the Trinity. It's like a meal. It's like bread. I was thinking about this today. You know, it's like bread and wine, right? You know, it's we're not called to have a diet of just the wine. There needs to be the bread. There needs to be substance. There needs to be earthiness. There needs to be, you know, the word and,、mm. and foundations built. And、um, you know, I was lucky from the family perspective, right? I had growing up in that kind of environment. I was had some good foundations laid.、Uh, I think the challenge, like everybody, is. You at some point, like Paul says, this is my gospel. You have to make everything your own. There's no spiritual grandparent, right, grand, right. you know, has to be a personal thing. And so, teenage years was really trying to, you know, figure out how to connect everything together in an authentic way. And and that's interesting, probably true of everybody who knows about creative people and worshipers, worship leaders, and stuff. And you know, this was before、yeah. that was even really awake. In me, to the degree you know, being cognizantly aware of that, it was like I was trying to figure out how to be, you know, authentically me and have a, a real deal relationship. And and I didn't, you know, didn't immediately see a lot of what I felt were like good examples, models、right. that my teenage years ended up being. Going, you know, grabbing hold of, you know, every book I could, you know, it's where、sure. I really discovered,、yeah. you know, a lot of the people we probably. Would know, you know, the great saint Henry Marrera was、yeah, added、yeah. to, you know, <laughs> Charles Finney and yeah, all the, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah, Whitfield、yeah. and yeah, the、exactly. generals,、so, man, come on, yeah, yeah. the world changes and stuff, and that was that. I think with the impact that that encounter had when I was eleven, that you know, everything just automatically was like, well, of course, you know, there wasn't a question mark over the authenticity of that or the normalcy right, of that, was, right. Why not? That's normal. Everything else、right. I'm seeing that, you know, that's not the standard. At that teenage time, I was didn't care so much whether my、wow. I had peers that were doing that. I think there's a uniqueness to creatives who were created by the creator、sure. to co-create、yeah. with him. You know, and 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 I think I, for a long time, I used to call it the curse of the creative because creatives are so susceptible to depression, deep emotion. Anxiety, all those different things, right? I don't know if you can relate to any of that. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's shaking his head, yes. <laughs> <laughs> But there's another aspect of the depth of that piece that I think is such an amazing blessing because I, I too, am a creative.、I'm, I worked in New York City as a fashion photographer for 15 years and have always made a living doing art. And there's such a there's such a, a gift in the ability to feel deeply. And then be able to articulate that in a way that causes、yeah. other people to feel deeply. But there is that balance, man. In order to be able to feel deeply enough to want to share deeply and to tell tell a story with that sort of depth,、um, you know, it, you have、yeah. it, it hurts at times. Or you still are a worship pastor.、Um, when did that whole when did that whole thing start taking off? What did that look like? Yeah, that was probably in my later teens, seventeen,、um, eighteen. Uh, initially, but you know, in terms of getting into worship posturing a, a little bit later, that connection to music and、uh, you know, picking up the guitar and just finding that that outlet and that connection point for me was huge. You know, it, even to your point, right, with all of the emotional instability of a creative, it became like this、uh, compass. For the soul, you know, and for、mm. me, and、uh, yeah, that was a kind of early on, and、uh, you know, just getting more and more opportunities to do that.、Uh, I think it was probably enough of an extrovert to to not particularly care a whole lot about what you know other people thought, and to be so <laughs> self conscious. You know,、yeah. I mean, it's always、yeah. going to be there's、yeah. always going to be an element of that. It was something that I just began to build on more and more.、Um, Right. You know, I, I found a church,、uh, you know, not too far away that was, you know, you know, more into the charismatic side of things and、uh, and a freer worship expression.、Um, there were, you know, kids my age, things like that, that、um, which was important as well. And、uh, they just gave me some good opportunity to to make a lot of mess,、um, but also, you know, to be able to come alongside、yeah. and just help, you know, kind of shape that. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, yeah,、Praise、and then、uh, you know,、yeah. fast forward going into the mission field in the Middle East, I end up、uh, you know connecting with a、uh, a mission school that that really the foundation stones were the prophetic worship and prophetic worship as a consequence, right? So 
um, you wow. know, that really became, yeah. started to become a really well dug well, uh, you know, in terms of just within me and uh, building that reservoir and that history. That's really important, right? Having that history, that track record of, uh, of being, you know, uh, alone with God, uh, you know, before there's any other public mm. demonstration of, uh, you know, your worship. I mean, you know, some people may not know what prophetic worship is. And, and what year was that? When, when were you, when did you connect to that church? And then how long did you kind of rest under their wings? Yeah, I mean, so we're talking about the early 90s at this point. Um, and uh, I, was, I was there for a while. Um, I mean, I eventually went out to uh, the Middle East as a missionary, for, you know, full time, as it were, in 99. Yeah. The prophetic worship is an interesting, I'm, you know, I'm a kid that grew up on uh, Kim Prosh, too. And, uh, you know, it was real one of the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the daddies, if you were, of that whole thing, along with a, a number of other people, uh, you know, later on, Don Potter as well. And um, the prophetic worship is an interesting thing because, uh, you know, I, I put it like this. I think in a worship setting, in a church worship setting, right, you, you have written songs that are uh, somewhat of the compass, somewhat of a grid for where are we going? Where am I trying to go in my own journey right. in that moment with the Lord? And where am I, if you're a worship leader, where are you trying to take people? And the first step for me of prophetic worship is the, the giving God the freedom and permission and even hungering for the, his opportunity to, to step in and change the plan and uh, to, to start to lead. Amen. And uh, there's a lot of faith, a lot of risk if you will, you know, pick which one you want to, you want to call it in that, but it, it starts with, you know, stepping out of the boat and say, Hey, I think he's going here. And I think we need to follow on that. And, you know, over time as a worship pastor in the, for prophetic, I think, you know, I've realized too, that it's having an eye and an ear to see what is he doing um, beyond me? Uh, what's he doing in the worship team? Right. What's he doing, um, you know, in the congregation? And uh, does somebody else have that moment, that word of the Lord, that sense that seems to bring an increased awareness of his presence and uh, an increased clarity mm, of good. what he really is trying to do in that particular moment? Um, you know, and because ultimately the songs are, yeah, they're a grid, they're a compass, but they're also the launching place the starting point that we can all collectively go off into the, the unknown, the deep of his heart, right? Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, man. so I think ultimately that's really that's where prophetic worship yeah. starts. It starts with that, you know, going on a journey with him where you, you've given him permission to, to take over, um, but you're also really keen to, to, to find what it is that brings that sweeter and increased awareness of him. Uh, and that more mm. clarity of understanding yeah. of what he's saying and doing in the room. That's fantastic. That's a really good definition. And I think that it's always in the risk that that our faith is increased. It's always in the risk that we allow him to be God of the situation. You know, it's a stepping out and saying, okay, Father. I always used to use that illustration, you know, the old uh, Indiana Jones movie where he has that big precipice over yeah. and, and he has to take a yeah. step before the thing kind of comes up underneath his foot. It's a leap of faith. Lord, you must believe, boy. You must believe. When I was, you know, when I was first starting out, I felt like, why does every step have to feel that way, you know? But it was the father saying, look, man, I got you. You know, there's always a great balance between the experiential and the foundational, like the, the word. Because to hear God's voice, to, to follow what the Holy Spirit is doing in the congregation, in the band, in the instrumentation, in the artist, in, on the platform, and really in your own atmosphere right you have to know what his voice sounds like without yep. the word of god without understanding this is this is my dad's character i i know it yeah. you know i know his voice so i right. can easily follow it but there is still no regardless i don't know it's it's always a take a little risk there's always something that's going to kind of push you on to the next thing 
and say, okay, here we go. You know, I got to trust you, dad. Um, so tell me about, tell me about your experience in the Middle East. Where were you in the Middle East? Why the Middle East? And man, you got, you have to share some stories about that. Cause that sounds incredible. Yeah. I mean, it was an interesting, uh, combination and probably a number of serendipitous reasons how I actually ended up in the Middle East. Part of my journey involved the Greek-speaking world, and wow. uh, initially I wanted to go out to closer to Greece, and uh, the church was part of it. said, we don't actually really have any connections there, but we do have a church plant in Cyprus, wow. which is Greek-speaking yeah. in the, the southern, you know, southern part, etc., and it's like a stone's throw. It's a 40-minute flight to Israel on the plane. Um, so you're, you're smack bang in the middle of the Middle East, but, wow. you know, uh, speaking Greek. So I was like, okay. And, uh, you know, they needed a, a youth pastor, worship pastor, you name it. <laughs> and I was young enough to volunteer for whatever. So, um, yeah, I went out there and, and that was it just, uh, it was definitely what got me through the door, what got me there. And, uh, there was, you know, some hard lessons there. I was going to say, it's interesting for me too, because, you know, at that time on the mission field, I, I met and interacted with a lot of missionaries from, you know, different organizations, denominations that you, know, you and I would call somewhat, if not full on cessationists. Oh, and, yeah. you know, that's where they're at on their journey. And, you know, God bless them. But the unanswered question there, as this little tangent here, is, you know, you can probably, you know, I'm guessing, you know, if you're in that kind of camp, have a fairly solid biblical argument for why you feel like everything stops. But the unanswered question for me was always like the works of darkness and the impact on people of overt things like witchcraft, etc., have not stopped. And in which case, what is your answer to that problem? Mm. What is the solution to that problem? Yeah. And I can't tell you so many times that it, that has been also the biggest hang up catalyst for those on the mission field in that in those camps that all of a sudden they get exposed to something like somebody manifesting demonically etc and that worldview that theological view has nothing right right and you're like okay so what's the solution how do you bring it and and you know a lot of the times obviously they'll remember a story from the Bible of the New Testament of how Jesus did something and they'll they'll start their journey of taking a small Amen. risk, Amen. a small step of faith. It sounds crazy, sounds wacky to a lot of people depending on what you've been exposed right. to, but the reality is that's real. Yep. And uh, God's solution to those problems is just as Amen. real. And, uh, Amen. Powerful, Amen. So. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So what kind of, so did you stay in that area of, of the Middle East the entire, you were there, what, eight, nine years? Yeah, yeah, just shy of 10 oh, years. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, I was in uh, Lebanon, Israel, um, had a little stint in Ethiopia with the, the missions organization I was with, wow. and uh, saw some fun stuff there too, of course. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then moved to Israel. Um, so, uh, which is where I met my wife. Oh, wow. And, uh, that was, uh, we were connected to a house of prayer in, in Jerusalem, yeah, wow. the indigenous congregations, but that's where ultimately where I met my, met my wife. Wow. Praise God, man. Yeah, man, that's good, dude. Not only did you get to experience God, but you found the one. That's awesome. Hey, <laughs> she's beautiful. And guys, I got to tell you, I've been to Kitchen's house. She's an incredible cook. So, um, yeah. The, and you guys make really cute kids too, by the way. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I'll pay you later. <laughs> what were some of the things that kind of took your faith level, right? Either in the prophetic or healing um, to the next level. T tell me some of those stories, if you can think of any. Um, one of the biggest gifts I found is the gift of community. Um, you know, the Bible talks about the new wine being in the cluster. Oh, and um, I remember when I first started work, you know, when I came back to the States after being in the Middle East, I, uh, my wife was already working for a guy called Randy Cott, Global Awakening. And uh, I started work there. Too. Oh, yeah, sure. And we were doing this supernatural conference with a friend of mine, Jamie Galloway. And um, I had this desire in me to, 
I was looking through my songs as a, a, a my songbook as a, a lot of worship pastors leaders will kind of relate to and go like I'm not feeling anything <laughs> from what's here, and we set such a high bar in terms of what we really wanted to see in this particular conference, uh, you know, and uh, going after the supernatural, seeing those manifestations, um, which you know, in fairness, for global is not that you know. Uh, yeah common or yeah you know, out of out of sort of thing that's part of the dna dna there um but it was just this this thing that nagged on me inside that was like i'm not seeing the the vehicles in the worship that, that kind of really corresponds and and so i was really feeling like i was supposed to write and just kind of to keep a very long story short you know being around enough of those people in that community, there really is this synergistic mm. effect of, um, you know, the, the greatness of God in the inside of other people being around them hits the greatness of God in oh, That's you. good. You know, just being able to, you know, stir each other up in that way just, I think, was in, you know, for that particular season especially. And still true now as a, a core value for me. It's like, that was what broke open the one casket. And, uh, you know, I just was able to record uh, for the whole for the whole conference, a whole EP. Wow. Um, you know, uh, of all my own stuff at that point. And, uh, you know, it, and that was, you know, so that was such a gift. Um, my my big faith stuff, I think, you know, my bar was set very early in life while I was still in England. And, uh, you know, my kind of interesting journey <laughs> with the Lord. Um, again, I, I had a, a song out on the radio in a secular band. We were up in the north of England, and this was before... We were kind of on the same scene as like Oasis and Coldplay up in the north of England before these guys had even even made it. So we were in like doing the same bar scene as like these you know up and coming bands. And we were about to sign a record deal, and uh, and I was getting more and more disillusioned. I mean, I loved the guys that I was with, the band I was with, and um, God and I had kind of kind of grown apart in that particular season of my life. But out of nowhere. Uh, one night, God spoke to me audibly. It was one of the few times I've actually heard him that way, um, even as a prophetic person. Um, and it was, but it was so clear. And the things he said to me at that time were enough for me to let go and leave everything in that at that particular time, just before we were about to sign a record deal. And uh, I left uh, the band, and on my, I'm taking essentially the equivalent in England of a Greyhound bus. And I, and I miss the last local bus home when I finally get to the main station. And um, I'm walking home, and out of nowhere, I see a guy across the road walking, stumbling, making his way the other direction, and a gang of youths just coming up behind him. And where they caught up with him, and it's about midnight, real dark, couldn't see a lot. They all had all their hoodies up. When they caught up with this guy, he, they were outside of a building where they were repairing the road. And one of them picked up like a paving slab, you know, from the sidewalk that hadn't been put down yet. And just point blank range over the back of this guy's head. And he just went down and, uh, you know, just something, just, you know, the injustice or whatever, everything just inside of me. And I rose up and I shouted, no, and we start running towards these, this gang of youth. And wow. amazingly, they ran wow. off. And uh, long story short, again, the guy was not in a good space. Uh, place and by the time I come back from trying to call an ambulance, um, you know, took a pulse and everything, he's gone. I mean, the back of his head was just wide, wide open. And um, this is an interesting thing. Uh, there wasn't any books written on the subject, as far as I know, at the time, and. I found, found myself praying in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And I don't pray like that. <laughs> I'm not that formal, despite being from the Royal County. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, that, I'm not wired that way. And it was like a, 
Do you remember the show The Wanda Years with Kevin, that little kid? And it was like everything that happened to him, like that was monumental, was like slow mo and the and the spotlight came down. And it was like, you know, oh it felt like that one of these weird kind of surreal moments. And and the guy starts to get up. And Praise God. <laughs> and uh the the here's the funny part but the real part and this is part as important as the testimony it was the gift of faith imparted to me at that point by the holy spirit Mm. not a residual faith that i was walking in so much so that when he started getting up i step in and i say oh don't get up you're hurt you know i'm still not connecting to the with the enormity and the gravity of what's going on and the power of God, even though as his vessel, he's just brought right in front of me, a man back from the dead. Wow. Wow. And, and the, the, the story is amazing. And I actually did a, 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 a week-long broadcast back when this happened in England. And I did his talk about it and the, the news involved and stuff later on uh, for this guy's life, etc. But... Um, the the amazing thing about all of this was right is that this guy was um, being contended over by heaven and by hell mm. and he was a homeless guy that nobody cared about and in fact the gang of youths that came to kill him had actually initially found him in the park where he was asleep and the police had said that he, they had actually essentially tried practicing their mugging skills on him while he was there and they'd taken sticks and broken his bones and everything and he was on his way when i was coming home after hearing the voice of the lord audibly telling me to leave everything and, and to surrender in that way in that significant way our worlds collide and he's on the way to the police and to the hospital to get help where that i meet him and they try to finish him off and yet heaven decides to step in over somebody nobody would think had any value Praise but Jesus. heaven went on and the, I mean the story is a long one there's just stuff that goes on in the hospital afterwards and in his life afterwards etc that it was just very very clear that God was you know he was not only roaring over this man's life but he was you know contending with the angel armies over this guy's life it wasn't an easy thing even after that moment and, uh, but that you know that's a, that's a huge thing and so you know that set the bar for a lot of my <laughs> kind of expectations <laughs> but yeah. but i'm only but i'm only one for three out of raising the dead right you know that was my first moment and the other two people that i prayed for that were dead didn't come back right you know um and so you obviously there's a whole bunch of challenges there but it starts with having you know <laughs> yeah you know some a real great, new norm a new paradigm i think for for the, you know, both the creative and for the miraculous, etc. Wow. I don't know about you, but I am so blessed by Kish's story. Listen, if you're being blessed by this podcast, maybe even right now, you could pause and subscribe. It really helps us get to be on the top list of the search engines so that more people can hear stories just like this of God's amazing love. So, um, okay, so you you were in the Middle East for eight, nine years. You met your wife in Israel what, um, at an IHOP in Israel. I didn't even know there was an IHOP in Israel. That is amazing. And yep. if you're listening to the podcast, I'm not talking about the International House of Pancakes. But there's a there's a thing called the International House of Prayer. <laughs> right, exactly. What, why don't you tell us about the International House of Prayer? I had connected with one of the original crew from the, the House of Prayer in Kansas City. Um, but when we went out to the Middle East and stuff, there was uh, uh, one of my former lecturers actually in Missions College had started, uh, in the mission school, excuse me, had started a house of prayer right there in Jerusalem called uh, Sukatelel. Uh, tabernacle of praise in, in English, and uh, he and his wife, uh, you know, were just tearing up, seeing amazing transformation in that particular. Praise area. God! Lots of really cool prophetic 
you know, confirmation of the things that were going on in the prayer. But essentially, a house of prayer, right, is this idea of, um, you know, restoring, uh, for some at least, it's the idea of restoring what they see as David's fallen tent, the, the, that whole model, uh, the tabernacle of worship that went on um, to accompany that yep. kingly rule, I should say, but also to just facilitate heaven on earth for day and night worship. Um, 24-7, etc. And, and Sukatelel at that time was one of the first wow. places uh, to start getting really close to going 24-7 in that part of the region. And uh, so, yeah, they were great. And uh, I was working one of the worship leaders there and, and freelancing. And uh, so I helped produce a show for CBN and, um, excuse me, for TBN and then was uh, working camera and stuff for, uh, for CBN there covering some of the the not so fun mm. stuff that happen in, happens in that part of the world. But um, yeah, um, so that went, I, I met my wife in the, the house of prayer. She came over and uh, for her little year out. And uh, yeah, I, I w- it was a big surprise <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, ex- I didn't expect that. So I was on my way actually by the time, uh, you know, I really kind of, just prior to me realizing that, you know, she was the one that got had for me, I was already making plans to, to leave the Middle East and to wow. get off the mission field. Um, but uh, thankfully, a lot of the things that God had spoken pro- prophetically to me actually really tied in and connected to to Rachel. And I didn't know it at the time, you know, so, so Rachel, my wife. And uh, so when we got together, all of a sudden, you know, the pieces fell in place of, like just praise the God, man. God and his that's so good and the way he just you know wove that whole our stories together in in that particular way yeah yeah tell me about working for Randy Clark's camp and uh what that was like that was that's an amazing time actually I mean I think it was it was just the gift of God in terms of where I'd come from um you know, the mission field can often be a very dry place, um, a very difficult place. You know, you are often resource lacking in so many different areas of your, you know, you're just your walk and your relationship with the Lord and just practical things as well. And just prior to leaving, you know, we were getting exposed to Bethel. Bethel were uh, in California. They were sending church uh, teams coming to even the house of prayer. Um, and we were connecting and just getting, you know, blitzed up, I think. Chris Valentin's podcast at the time were like my sanity. <laughs> they really were just yeah. kind of keeping me afloat in so many ways. And uh, so, yeah, by the time I moved to the States and, uh, you know, even working, getting to work with Global was interesting because, you know, Rachel had the job, her job there that she came back to after her time in the Middle East. And uh, Randy was at this point uh launching a, a church in in the uh, mechanicsburg area here yeah. from st louis and what they wanted to do incidentally enough was to start that whole thing with a with uh 24 7 worship wow and uh so randy's wife deanne calls rachel and tells her there's these opportunities for these little slots they wanted to go this 24 7 route and uh we took one of them so rachel and i and uh, Deanne comes to sit, Randy's wife comes to sit in, and, and uh, stuff starts to happen in, in worship. And uh, um, I didn't notice at the time that she had literally walked to the back of the room uh, about halfway through the set and, and gone on the phone with Randy and said, I found, also found your worship pastor. And wow. Praise God. And like that. And, uh, when we first started working for, for Randy and doing the events and the conferences and the, the school, there was just this this dynamism of just like everything that Randy carries and, you know, everything that I carry just be in that environment. Just, you know, for me, at least, it was just like taking everything that God had put into me to the next level. Randy's thing is obviously, you know, seeing uh, healings, etc., like that, so seeing that happen, uh, you know, much more frequently in the context of worship and uh you know, but also a really meaningful thing for me was this ability now to sort of, you know, do worship tracks for the students, cultivate, develop those guys, which was, you know, my heart to start raising up other people, uh, especially in this aspect of going on a journey in, in prophetic worship. You know, Randy was a big fan, still is a big fan of John Wimber. And, uh, you know, we yeah. just talked a lot about, you know, his impact. And of course, John was uh you know um 
sort of a big part of Kevin Proch is my hero, one of my heroes at that time. Yeah. His life, etc. As well. So um, I know that Randy pretty much could quote John Wimber's sermons. Yeah. <laughs> um, that he that he had followed him around yeah. so much, and John was, uh, yeah, started the entire uh, vineyard movement yeah, back in uh, the day before Randy went to the Toronto outpouring, right, yeah. and started walking in that. It, it, that's yeah, yeah, that's awesome, yeah. man. And Randy's guys... such a humble guy. People don't realize this. I mean, he's just such an unassuming guy, and but he's got like this childlike faith inside like even after all this time right like that one healing that one cool testimony you know just just completely rocks his world like it was the very first time he was you know being experienced to that and uh you know for people with large ministries i i i say that because i don't think everybody always gets to see that or or think along that line that that i really think that that's you know that i think that's why he's seen so much because he has that childlike faith yeah and although there is a certainty and an expectation that god is going to do what he said he's going to do every time god shows up in the room right i I, you know randy's out of that camp where we have to celebrate what god has just done right now and take the time to celebrate randy is this has man such a heart of celebration in man the love of god you know he's just he's he's a huge inspiration of mine i've read just about everything that he's ever written the essential guide to healing that he did with bill johnson is one of my favorite books on the subject of healing just an incredible incredible teaching grounded scriptural not weird or wacky love-based very accessible man i yeah i, yeah, I couldn't really I, I, I he's one yeah, of my exactly he's one of my guys yeah i, I mean as, as far as that i look up to and say yeah that dude's that he's a real deal you know for those of you who don't are, are unaware of that whole community randy wrote his his master's thesis on metal being taken out of people's bodies and having medical, <laughs> you know, you guys, if, you, if you're questioning the whole healing thing, go look at Randy's stuff. Um, you know, they have before and after x-rays with people who have had 30, 40 pins in their spine. They pray for them and the pins melt away and the person's yeah. spine is miraculously brand new. Um, this is the kind of thing that they experience. So what was it like to just be in that atmosphere of expectation? There's just certain people you know you're around that they're they're operating on an, at another level. Uh, um, what you know would be difficult for you to kind of you know imagine, envision, or you know have faith for or believe that your anointing's at a particular level, if you, if you want to put it like that. Um, you just know that you know he's at another another level. And here's what's really great about that environment is. At least for me, this was probably the first time I was getting more experience, exposure to this was. Right. It wasn't the tent revival guy who did the stirring of the water like the angel. And if you missed him, you missed you missed Amen. your healing, right? He was doing those meetings yep. where all the time where it was like, let's activate everybody else in the room. Same God, same human individual, same son or daughter with the same access and the same rights. And everybody coming into those meetings, like, I mean, this was revolutionary. Not to say he was the first one, but for me, you know, it was just you. everybody coming into that environment, the accessibility the uh the and the way that, you know, it, it kind of ignited and activated your own faith to believe. Um, and then, yeah, just the number of healings, not just from the one guy, but in the meeting, in the room, um, whether it was worship, nobody was touching anybody or whether it was, you know, Billy Bob who attended their first global awakening conference yeah. and never, you know, never moved in any of this stuff. And, and they're the guy that sees the guy get out of the wheelchair, yeah. you know, kind of right, thing. Right, you know? Right. If you're around enough terminally, terminally ill people, or people with seriously life-defining conditions. Right. If they, what do you do when they don't get healed? And what I've loved about Randy is his his pursuit of um, medical documentation. Um, right. And just and then seeing all of that, the the normalcy of God 
healing in the miraculous, etc., in you know, be involved in all spheres of uh, the medical community, whether it's the mind, whether it's terminal conditions. Uh, you know, my cousins who runs the schools now has a, a real, a real talent, a real anointing there. Wait on him to to see PTSD broken. Wow. You know, so massive inroads into the military community, etc. With that same consistency of this is scripture, this is normal. Here's the miraculous, and let's get followed up documentation to say you know bona fide. This isn't just this isn't just the magic of the moment or anything right. else like that. Which I think is so refreshing during this season. You see guys like Sean Bowles. And his 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 writing and his teaching style and his equipping ministry is so、yeah. focused on the accountability of、yeah. the prophetic. There's always going to be the, you know, the effect of somebody with the placebo effect, where、yeah. somebody is in it and and all of a sudden, oh, the numbness is gone. But then they go wake, they wake up the next morning, the numbness is back. Yeah,、but、these guys are have started a culture where that's not. A, we're going to follow up with you. If I'm speaking word over you, I'm going to touch base with you to make sure that that thing rang true because I'm under the responsibility of、yeah. hearing God's voice. And if it doesn't happen, then it was me who missed, not Jesus. So I'm, you know, it's it's that accountability of like following through and stuff. It certainly is a more difficult thing to argue than the、yeah. old time TV guys. With、yeah. you know their、right. wives with、uh, makeup three inches thick and the blue hair and all that stuff, the little microphone in the ear sort of a deal. <laughs>、um, you know, come on, you're thinking are... leap of faith on you, Steve Martin. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, oh Lord, help us.、Um, yeah, exactly. I think that that is where the church is going to gain, and has gained momentum. Because I don't know about you, but in all the spiritual giftings—healing, prophetic, words of knowledge—I、um, see a I see a fresh wind, man. Where it's happening at such a level, accuracy and consistency globally, more more ever than、uh, certainly in my lifetime. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just even in my home country as well. Let alone here. I mean,、uh, you know the. Where I was at, and and how I can remember just how isolated and alone I felt, like going out on the street giving words of knowledge.、Um, you know, is anybody else kind of doing that? You know, my reference point was just those, you know, the great saints that I was reading before. You know, I was heavily impacted by reading about,、um, you know, Paul Cain in Jack Deere's book, Surprised、mm. by the Voice of God. I mean, that that story at the end there that, that Paul goes through just still brings me to tears. You know, and And then Jill Austin as well was another massive influence for me.、Um, with the whole her seeing into the realm of the angelic and, and that, that prophetic element too.、Um, but it's interesting. I reference those to say because I think you know we we both have obviously you know connected to the to Breakthrough Church in Lynchburg as well and everything there those guys are doing、yeah. there and you know that's a huge part of、uh, Rachel and I's life and and、uh, what we're doing here right now. And when I ministered on the prophetic, and I think you did a healing there as well, right? When I ministered on the prophetic, it was—it still surprises me. I think about how many people haven't really realized or discovered the kind of gift that they have, what it means, how to unpack it, or and and as a consequence as well, really even connected to other writings or right, authors on、right. the subject. And I think you know, to your point, right? A lot of people are exposed now to. Sean Bowles. A lot of people won't know who his spiritual mentors yeah, were、right. in the prophetic.、Um, so he's able to represent some of that, some of that stuff, you know, from that he was kind of exposed to、um, and the lessons learned. But a lot of this stuff, I think, hasn't been written yet or taught yet in a way that is really meaningful to this generation. Or you know, I think there's still more stuff to be、Amen. fleshed out. There used to be this whole saying about you know the the next book on worship there won't be anything new in in you know anybody writing on worship it's all being said it's all being written it's all being done and I don't think that's true and I think the same is about the prophetic too I think what we're seeing now is this greater increase in accuracy in the prophetic right and different ways it's manifesting and expressed there's it's like Joseph's 
coat of many colors is is revealing at this in this season those other colors and we're seeing these these you know maybe small differences but different facets that are really really important and uh you know there hasn't been a lot said for feelers senses Mm -hmm. intuitive discerners Mm -hmm. not necessarily words and knowledge not necessarily out and out prophetic or seers in that kind of camp but a lot of people that would just could pick up what was going on in the room going on with a person and sensing maybe even the spiritual realm and had no idea and some of this material you know hasn't been written yet that gives people the framework to understand even the very gift of god that's in them waiting Amen. to come forth so know? when can we expect your first book kish <laughs> yeah. oh man uh, i think i think yeah. that might have been a prophetic word right there brother that that was a prophetic prod there is there is a book that um i know i'm supposed to write and uh okay so, yeah <laughs> <laughs> take, that, take that as conviction on on, on the air right now <laughs> uh, praise god dude i'm yeah. really encouraged because there is a hunger and a desire for the more and that's really the first step um is is, is recognizing that desire i think the next step somebody's got to put it on paper somebody's got to tell the story in a way that compels people to believe that this is for now and this is for them and uh, it's exciting that God's put that on you. I mean, right, this generation into, I think it comes back to that whole thing about the more. I think, yeah, every generation's had a desire for more. And it, one of the noticeable things about the more with this generation is, is um, the no desire for theory. Yeah. Right, like it has yeah. to come. You know, everybody's looking for, you know, voices that have walked out that that whole thing that they're talking about in their book in an authentic way um, that have experienced um, because there is a lot of noise. The ones that are, you know, the go-to going to be even the, the new go-to books in the future are definitely going to be having that hallmark of the authenticity of I've walked this stuff out. I've got a Amen. history here and that. Amen. Uh, yeah. yeah. Amen. That's awesome, dude. That's really good. Then my next question for you is, how do you, how do you prioritize your intimacy with your father? I think it starts with recognizing what season you're in, um, coupled with having a consistent foundation of what he's really like and and, and who you really mm. are. I think you've got to be able to, you know, Psalm 23, recognize whether you're in a season of lying down, sitting, mm. or walking. Um, in your even in your just in that kind of metaphor in your own journey with the lord and and what i mean in a practical way right is you know i i came as a single guy from six o'clock in the morning was my time and the first two kids that i had (laughs) you know were terrible sleepers yeah you know and that and the first kid i had as well especially was like he was so pleased to see me when he woke up and if he woke up early like he was coming into that yeah. room, you know, I, I wasn't able to, you know, put that sign on the door, you know, <laughs> man of God in, in prayer at the moment like that, you know, he's just like, yeah. you're my dad and I'm your son and I'm coming in to hang out with you. And, and sometimes that is what an intimacy looks like. Amen. Um, and I think you as a dad will also kind of relate to this. That there's a lot of times in that where God's Selah moment is, right there manifest Mm. in front of you what he's actually trying to tell you god knows when it's really difficult for you practically to find carve that time out and the nature of god is this way and it's i found it to be true tried and tested true is that he when he know when 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 i practically am having a hard time carving out the, the the time for him he comes in Oh, so quickly Amen. in those little Amen. moments. He's real, right? So why <laughs> not? Like that, if he gets it, if he understands your life and it's not a judgment that your seasons can shift and, you know, some weeks you're going to have time and everything's going to, all of the time that you want with the Lord and in the word is going to just fall into place naturally. Yeah, there's going to be moments like that. And there's other times where life just doesn't seem to be facilitating or, or you know, uh, cooperating i think for everybody right it just comes back to that point of like um you know 
what's he like? And if he's like that, you know, how much more re-energized right. are we instead right. of kind of getting into condemnation, you know, perhaps the guilt trips that we could get into about what we feel we should, you know, the amount of time we should, we feel we should, we should be spending with him or whatever. It's like, oh, that's right. He's really good. I'm just going to hang out with, a, with my dad that's really good. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that is so needed. I, for many people listening right now, I know the struggle has been guilt, wanting so desperately to prioritize God. Um, and, and there is some truth to that. We prioritize what's important to us, but there are natural seasons and it's in the understanding of, of his identity and our identity in him, right? That we, that we w allow ourselves the quiet moments. I think it's so important for people to understand that he is a good father. Absolutely. What is the, I, I've been asking people this who I find interesting. Um, what is the one book and the one album that you recommend to friends the most? Probably on the worship side of stuff is probably the one book I'm always buying it when I can and giving it away and recommending it is probably Facing the Wall, Tom Potter, that book, or either that or Supernatural Power of Transform Mind, Bill Johnson, right? You know, yes, oh, one of the best books. Yeah, that's just way, way up there. Um, and then the album, um, it's probably, it depends who I'm talking to, right? It's, it's if you're like, if I think you're going to connect to like the old school flowy stuff, it's probably like Palanquin, Kevin yeah. Frost, or Journey to Life, yeah. or something like that, or it's going to be a United Pursuit album, you know, probably yeah. any of the really any of them oh man they're so good live at the bank's house is live at the bank's house whatever uh, they're still really really solid and of course um interestingly i would say jeremy riddle but there's very few jeremy riddle albums that i think do jeremy justice man i so enjoyed having you on here brother Randall it was a joy i'm so glad we got to connect again and and for everybody listening, of course, they don't, they can't even see how righteous your beard is looking. I mean, you wouldn't even believe this lockdown. I'm looking at my, uh, you know, my rugged thing going on here. Oh, and yours on, is like groomed mm. perfection. Yeah, I'm telling you, it, it, it does it, have a glow. And that's not the Holy Spirit. That's actually <laughs> beard glory. oil. That's beard oil. That's the secret, man. <laughs> And it wouldn't hurt to take a shower every once in a while, Kish. All right. I know you're into the whole nature thing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, God. Well, hey, dude, it was great having having you on here. I love you guys. I uh, thank your family often, and uh, I'll touch base with you soon, all right? Appreciate you, Randall. Take care, man. Hey, guys, if you were blessed by this podcast and would like to know when the latest episode drops, please, for God's sake, smash the subscribe button and take just 30 seconds to write a review. Seriously, it helps to get this in front of more people and ultimately spread the gospel. You can visit our website and leave a tip in the virtual tip jar by clicking the link in the bio. Also, follow us on Instagram at the Long Haired Pastor Podcast. Again, thank you so much for hanging out and shine on.